Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Unto Caesar podcast. This is episode eight. Today we'll be talking about Jinan. This is another instrumental song, so let's dive right into the history. The Chinese Civil War took place over a large swath of the first half of the 20th century. The Communist Party of China, or CPC, led by Mao Zedong, and the Nationalist Party, also known as the Kuomintang, or KMT, led by Chiang Kai-shek, fought in multiple phases from 1927 to, to 1936. And then again after the Japanese had been defeated from 1946 to 1949. In the first phase of the Chinese Civil War, the CPC and KMT were allies in an effort to unify China. Chiang Kai-shek turned against the CPC when he saw them as a threat to his vision for a centralized and modern Chinese state. This split led to the beginning of a full-scale civil war between the Communist Party and the Kuomintang. Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang controlled most major cities and the central government of China, and they eventually pushed Mao and the rest of the Communist Party up into northern China, facing almost complete annihilation. The Chinese Civil War was put on hold, however, in 1937 when the Japanese launched the full-scale invasion of China and began capturing major Chinese cities and halting trade routes in Hong Kong, Canton, and Macau. It's important to note that uh, for China, World War II began in 1937. So it began two years before it began in Europe. Uh, Japan was already beginning the expansion of of their empire in 1937. Back to the text. Both the CPC and KMT realized that the Japanese threat was far more important and thus formed an unstable alliance known as the Second United Front to resist Japanese aggression. The KMT fought the Japanese from central and southern China, while the Communist Party fought from northern China, all the while jockeying for position, increasing political standing on both a world stage and amongst Chinese citizens. Both sides were preparing for the civil war to resume after the Japanese were thrown out of China. It is hard to understate the violence committed in China during World War II by the Japanese and by the Chinese military organizations against its own people. Roughly 20 million people were killed, uh, military and civilian, throughout the course of the war, and vast quantities of land were flooded, burned, or outright destroyed. And because the Civil War began almost immediately after Japanese defeat, it took some regions decades to heal and rebuild. Once Japan was pushed out of China, the, the CPC was rebuilt. They had strengthened their forces and methods of fighting, and they spent 1946 to 1949 pushing the KMT out of China into Taiwan. The KMT had been severely weakened during World War II due to direct confrontations with the Japanese, and they had been subject to internal corruption, economic issues, and lack of popular support due to the treatment of the civilian populace during the war. The KMT prosecuted the war with a fervent scorched-earth policy. Notably, in 1938, Chiang Kai-shek agreed to flood the Yellow River to stop the push of the Japanese inland. It destroyed thousands of acres of arable land and killed roughly half a million people. These numbers are, are hotly abated. Decisions like this were made frequently in the KMT governmental war policy to stop the Japanese, and this caused them to lose popular support, whereas the CPC had fought a mostly guerrilla war from the north and achieved victories against overwhelming odds. 
By 1949, the communist forces had captured Beijing and most of the country, and on October 1st, 1949, Mao declared the establishment of the People's Republic of China, while Chiang Kai-shek established a separate government in Taiwan. Mao's China and the PRC instituted major changes to Chinese society, and during the Great Leap Forward, the attempt to reconstruct the entire country from an agrarian economy into a communist society, millions of people were killed. Mao and other communist leaders from the outset of the Civil War believed the conversion of China to a communist state would achieve several things. Class divisions would be eliminated, the removal of Western imperial powers from influencing a traditionally weak Chinese state, large-scale poverty, inequality, and landlessness would be significantly reduced, and China would be forced to, to modernize under a communist society, but also that the peasants or the people would play a significant role in the future direction of China, and Mao himself desired personal power, and so he built a cult of personality around himself. The Cultural Revolution began several years later, in 1966, as a response to the failures of the Great Leap Forward. Mao encouraged paramilitary groups of young people to attack the four olds, old customs, old culture, old habits, and old ideas. Thus began a campaign of terror, the attacking of intellectuals, the destruction of historical artifacts, and the purge of those deemed to be enemies of the Communist Party, which was largely arbitrary. This period was marked by widespread chaos and violence. Many people were persecuted, and centuries of Chinese heritage and cultural artifacts were destroyed. The economy was severely disrupted, and the revolution didn't end until Mao died in 1976. After his death, Deng Xiaoping took power and began a period of rapid economic growth and modernization that has characterized China's global posture and economic policy to this day. China's emergence as a communist state contributed to the bipolarization of the world during the Cold War. Initially, they were aligned with the Soviet Union as part of the socialist bloc against the Western bloc, which was led by the United States. This strengthened communist efforts and positioned around the world. Communist China intervened in the Korean War, siding with North Korea against South Korea and UN forces, which escalated the conflict and solidified a divided Korea. Eventually, though, the Sino-Soviet split allowed China to pursue a more independent foreign policy, but increased tension between Russia and China. Finally, in the late 1970s, China began to open up, expand its economic base, and assert itself ever more into international affairs. The world has become increasingly dependent on China for manufacturing and supply chains, and China has begun to connect its infrastructure to more than 60 countries across Asia and into Europe. International geopolitics, positioning in military affairs, and ideologies don't exist in a vacuum. China's communist upheaval stems from generations of foreign rule, governmental corruption, and economic-slash-social pressure from the West. It can be easy to feel disconnected from the past, to see things that happened hundreds of years ago in a different part of the world as totally separate from ourselves, but that isn't the way that, that the world works. As the world becomes more connected, more interdependent, and routes of supply cross oceans, continents, and completely different societies, the influence of powerful ideologies begin to proliferate with goods and services. Ideas, actions, individuals all matter, and they matter on a global scale, now more than ever. And I don't think there is any better 
demonstration of how true that is than the multi-generational transformation of the Middle Kingdom. And that's the end of the written text. I don't have too much more to say about this, actually. Um, this is another thing that I didn't know too much about before I began this project. Uh, I am familiar with China's role in World War II and uh, what happened to China after the Japanese invaded, which I think is something that often gets understated whenever we have a conversation about World War II. Um, China had been fighting that war for for quite a long time before uh, a Western powers uh, began to intervene in the Pacific, primarily the United States after uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And once the Japanese began to move on British colonies and territories in India and Hong Kong uh, and disrupted trade routes. Of course, early, early on in the war, whenever the Japanese did invade, uh, the British were taken mostly by surprise and surrendered. Hong Kong was occupied almost immediately. Um, but uh, to speak to um, the political and economic pressure that China kind of as a whole had been facing for some time, you have to remember that for the entirety of the of the uh, uh, Qing dynasty, uh, China was ruled by people who were not Chinese. They were Manchurians. Um, and that period of time, uh, gradually began to develop into increasing influence from, uh, Western, from Western societies, primarily of the British as they occupied and took Hong Kong and used it as a trade base for tea and other goods. Of course, the, uh, Portuguese had settled in Macau and had a type of like Catholic commune there. And Canton had been used as as a as a factory base for ships to to land on mainland China, but uh, Europeans were not allowed in past the gates of Canton, deeper into this uh, past a certain point in Macau, um, and then Hong Kong is of course an an island that is now connected to the mainland, but previously it wasn't. Um, but because most of this happened so recently, it's very easy to see what these events have done to modern society. Since the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, and the Crimea previously, um, it appears that they are trying to regain much of what was lost during the dissolution of, this, of the Soviet Union. So, of course, there's a lot of tension around what China may or may not do about Taiwan. China has never seen Taiwan as a sovereign state. They've always claimed it to be a, a part of China. And we see why here. We see the conflict that, that led to that split and why the split happened. Um, and then, of course, the world's economic and manufacturing base relies so much on Asia in general that it's, it's hard to imagine now separating the West from the East um, for, th for literally thousands of years, that was the goal to make the far close, to make the East and the West interchangeable with goods and services and people, you know, travel that distance on foot, uh, for a very long time. And now they're so interdependent and, and related, it's hard to imagine it any other way, but, this goes back to the point that I'd made earlier where 
policies, ideologies, beliefs, actions, political movements, just because they're happening in one country and not your own doesn't mean that they're not also happening to you. Each of these things play an ever more increasing role in the way that we we as a people conduct ourselves, how we relate to, to the world, how we re- relate to each other, and what is made available to us. And I think given the long and storied history of China, which is arguably one of the most beautiful places on earth has such a rich cultural heritage um, and were quote unquote civilized far before Europe ever was. Um, There's just so many interesting examples and interesting movements and interesting ideas that have come from China that it's hard not to look at it in a sense of, of awe, but also um, in the way that people from the West have traditionally looked at Asia, which is a sense of maybe fear or confusion. Um, and only time will tell how things will play out. As I said, this is a shorter episode. Um, so thank you all for sticking around. There's only a few more of these left. And I'll see you in the next one.